0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls. Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker. Uh, this week, we'll do part two of our interview with Joshua Mata from Coalition. And of course, obviously, if you haven't heard part one, uh, that would be a good idea to go back and listen to that episode first. Uh, because this time, uh, this week, you know, last week, we kind of talked about ransomware and why it's, you know, really kind of ramped up lately, uh, what it's about, how it works, why it's so devastating. And, uh, and this week, we kind of talk about um, well, we, we will talk about, you know, how to avoid it. We'll talk about some security measures you can take to try to prevent it from happening. But in the case of a cyber insurer, uh, they work in the case where people do get infected and how you deal with that. And so, you know, once you are infected, then what, you know, how do you, how do you pay the ransom? Uh, you know, are there ways to get your data back without paying the ransom? Uh, all those kind of things. So we're going to talk about that today in part two of our interview with Joshua Mata. And I'll come up in just a minute. I do want to mention again that this is National Cybersecurity Month, October. And so, you know, this would be a great month for you to kind of finally do those things you've been meaning to do to improve your, your cybersecurity, you know, your, defend your devices, defend your data, and prove your online privacy. And there's lots of resources on my website. If you'd like to check that out, go to firewalls, There's a little tab up the top called resources. And from there, you can get to uh, a lot of different other websites, books, blogs, things like that, that I recommend that you might want to check out. And of course, you can also find links to my book, which has over 150 different tips in it for enhancing your security and privacy. Many of them are free. Most of them are very simple. So uh, anyway, uh, this would be a great month to kind of uh, check off some of those things you've been meaning to do and never got around doing because it's cybersecurity month. All right. And with that, let's uh, let's go into part two of our interview with Joshua Mata. So I think we've uh, certainly established here clearly that there are several ways that things could go wrong in the realm of cybersecurity uh, with computers and technology. So um, obviously, this is what your company is for to mitigate some of these risks. So l- let's get into that. Tell me tell our audience, what is cyber insurance? How does cyber insurance work? What is it? What does it cover?
1: Yeah, so you know, as, as I mentioned, um, you know, and when we started this, like, t- technological risk has become perhaps the most pervasive risk facing mankind. Hmm. You know, it, uh, and even as a business owner, whether it's as an individual, you know, it's far more likely that something bad is going to happen with the technology you use, and it doesn't even have to involve a hacker, it can be that it just fails, you know, or, there's an error made in the code or, or something of that nature. You know, so te- technological risk is, has grown with our dependency on it. Yeah, sure. And the the irony is that the accepted solution for cybersecurity um, or cyber risk is more technology. It's cybersecurity <laughs> technology, right? And right. so, you know, let's go buy firewalls and AV. And, and I know that's, you know, part of the, the title of your show. <laughs> let's go buy all these. Let's go buy all these things. To solve like which is really just more technology mm. um, so let's throw more technology at the problem to solve to solve to really try and address the risks that technology created in the first place and so if that appears somewhat circular it is <laughs> um, and perhaps as a, as a result like you know uh, c- cybersecurity spending and losses from uh, cyber insurance or sorry lo- losses from cyber attacks are positively correlated. Whereas, you know, at some level, you would hope that the more you invested, the the risk would go down. Right. And, and I'm not saying that to disparage the technology industry. You know, technology and cybersecurity and antivirus and firewalls, these can be very effective um, risk mitigation tools. But what I'm getting at is that uh, this is a risk management problem. And and when you think of it in that respects, not only do you need to be able to assess your risk, not only be able, do you need to be able to mitigate it, like with technology or antivirus or firewalls, you also need to be able to transfer it. And insurance is a risk transfer tool. Hmm. Cyber insurance lets you say, you know, if something bad happens with technology, and it doesn't just have to be hacking, it could be a systems failure, it could even be a, just any type of privacy failure. If you, you know, if you're a dentist and you leave a patient record on the top of your car and it blows off in the wind, you know, or, or, or somehow intercepted mm-hmm. or stolen, um, that's actually covered by cyber insurance. Cyber insurance hmm. provides broad privacy coverage. If you were to accidentally infringe someone's image on your website uh, and they were to, to sue you and say, this is my image, you owe me this money, that's actually covered by cyber insurance. Yeah. And so cyber insurance is really designed to allow you to transfer a wide variety of the risk exposures that, that you know, enter into your life and into your business, you know, in the event that, uh, you know, there's there's a failure of some kind. And so, you know, the, the insurance company will... Pay for the cost to defend you in case someone's attempting to sue you, you know, or they'll pay for any of the losses. They'll pay for the forensics um, analysis that I mentioned, you know, companies mm-hmm. have to conduct. They'll cover the cost of a cyber extortion. They'll cover the cost for you to uh, restore your data if it's deleted or stolen or whatnot. Um, they'll cover, you know, PCI fines and penalties, regulatory penalties, you know, GDPR fines. Um, so, you know, think of it as, as an insurance product that is designed to sort of broadly cover uh, the different types of risks that technology brings, you know, enters brings into your company or or into your home.
0: So we're obviously bad at, secu- at security uh, and yeah. the average person certainly the average corporation who doesn't have the budget to you know pay for a dedicated security IT staff or pay for training for all their employees they're just sitting ducks i mean they've got to be just low hanging yeah. fruit so as a you know as a cyber insurance company when you come to and approach these people i would have to think you know, kind of like, you know, my company when they, you know, for health insurance they say, well, you know, if you can prove that you've jogged this week, we'll give you a discount on your, on your health insurance. Do you guys, you know, I assume that you it's in your best interest to somehow work with your clients to get them trained up as well, or maybe provide uh, some IT services. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, that's the thing when you think about it, you, you know, um, bad things are going to happen, right? Um, if, if you think about cyber attacks and criminal acts, you know, like you do a hurricane or an earthquake, you know, just like we don't have the ability to stop those things, you know, we can't eradicate cyber crime. We have never eradicated any other medium of crime. Mm. And cyber is certainly not going to be the first one. And so, you know, I think if we can all accept that, um, for worse, bad things are going to happen, uh, that's where it's, this is an insurance problem, Right. Um, and you know, whether it's earthquakes or hurricanes, you know we don't we don't all give up as a society. We pool uh, risk together, and that's what insurance companies do, right? Like they pool capital and they're able to direct those premiums to where any one individual pays a small amount. but obviously in a time of need, you know they, they can be uh, compensated. And so you know in general, insurance companies, particularly cyber insurance companies, like we know that people are going to be hacked. We know that ransomware is going to happen. Um, you know, as long as we can price for it accordingly, we can pr- perform a really critical function in the economy and for a business or an individual, with that said, though insurance companies are competitive, and so you know if I can lower my losses um, if I can do things more efficiently, then that means I can offer lower pricing um, and you know as as you mentioned, like we have a financial incentive to protect our customers and in, in the case of coalition, we write insurance policies anywhere from twenty five thousand dollars to fifteen million dollars per company. Mm-hmm. And that means we have 15 million reasons to try and prevent <laughs> right. you from having and 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 think about that, like think about that compared to a cybersecurity company, a technology company. You know, the worst that happens to them is you stop buying their product. They're not right. going to come in and pay 15 million dollars because, you know, for GDPR fines and penalties or the extortion for your ransomware. We do that. And so, you know, in our case, like we are one of the only cybersecurity, you know, slash cyber insurance firms that actually has an incentive, a financial incentive to protect our customers. And that's really where we have innovated, um, you know, with respects to the rest of the market. Um, you know, we provide all of our policyholders a free cybersecurity platform. We're monitoring uh, their network perimeters from the outside 24-7, looking for things that are risky. We're looking at the, all the bad things that do happen to our customers, and we're trying to think, how do we solve these, right? How do we how do we build something that helps our client prevent this? We're partnering with technology companies, right? There are a lot of great technology companies building things, and we wanna make that uh, available to our customers and let them know how effective it is, even incentivize the use. So actually just this week, we issued a new coverage on every single policy we have on force. And it basically says that if at the time you file a claim with coalition, you have two-factor authentication turned on for your email, we will cut your deductible in half, huh. up to a $10,000 benefit. So literally, turning on 2FA could solve, could save you $10,000. And so that's just one way in which we're trying to incentivize behavior. And, and we're doing that because we actually believe, and we have data to suggest, that in this case, two-factor authentication is one of the most effective security mechanisms that a company can implement. And what's even better is, it's generally free um, yeah. and quite easy to implement. So, you know, again, just to give you an idea.
0: So you're talk- you so you bring up incentives and and and, and things that make the market move. Um, so I'm curious to know one of the things that always struck me as strange, and you mentioned this almost explicitly a second ago, is that yeah, the makers of this technology, the software, Microsoft, um, McAfee, uh, even if they're not explicitly uh, security related company that if they have bugs in their software, they're almost never held accountable when there's, when those bugs get exploited and people have massive losses. So a lot of insurance companies I know will, you know, they'll, they'll help their client. But then when there's, if there was negligence that led to that from some other company, they will often turn around and seek to get some of that back from the other company. First of all, does that, do you agree that the, the, that that some of the reason we have these problems is that there is no real financial liability? There's no, there's nothing that holds these people accountable. And second, have you ever tried to hold somebody accountable in this case when there's been just egregious malfeasance?
1: Oh, absolutely, we have. Yeah, what you're referring to is called subrogation, um, hmm. the, the technical word. Um, and but you know, uh, it really depends on the, s- the circumstance. And so, with software makers in particular. You know, that really long user license agreement that you <laughs> yes. just scrolled through and clicked the button, well, in that, you're basically agreeing, like, you know, the companies, most almost all software companies are disclaiming any form of warranty or fitness or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically saying, you're using this software at, at your own peril. And if something goes wrong, you know, they're disclaiming all liability. And so, you know, that that is mm-hmm. that is that's how it works, whether most people realize it or not. Now that's not always the case. And so, you know, in the example of you know, in the example of uh, these managed services providers or third-party IT providers, you know, very often you'll have a contract with those providers and there will be limits of liability. Like and and you know, I recommend all companies to negotiate those. Um there there will often be insurance requirements where you require that IT provider to purchase insurance mm. precisely to cover an error or remission in the delivery of their service. And so in that case, you know, for example, if we have a claim and micro it was Microsoft's fault, well, you know there's not really much we can do because Microsoft disclaimed all liability mm-hmm. if, um, if, on the other hand, you know a third party provider was negligent, leading you to have a loss, first and foremost, we're covering you, and so we will pay the claim, we'll make sure you're whole again because that's our principal concern, and then you're right. we have the ability to then go back and try and get um, that money from. Uh, the third party, or their insurance company. And so that's happening uh, all the time. Um, and it's happening behind the scenes. It's again, it's another, you know, valuable sort of service function that that the insurance industry plays.
0: So when an attack happens, how uh, you've, you've said that you, uh, you do get involved, to what degree do you get involved? I mean, so I my business just got just got hacked. I've got this dreaded ransomware thing on my screen, I call you up and say, Okay, you're my, this is why I paid for you. Now what?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, look, I've got to disclaim Co- coalition is very different um, than a traditional insurance company. You know, you, you don't typically think about calling your insurance company for a cyber attack. Um, mm. <laughs> the, I, I would imagine that most people don't think that their insurance company can do much to help them. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're very different. All we do is cyber insurance and cybersecurity. You know, to my knowledge, we're the only insurance provider with a dedicated in-house forensics and security team. And so when you call us, we are nine one one. We are the closest thing to emergency first response that you have access to because sadly calling the actual 911 isn't going to do you a great deal of good, right? right? And, that's, and that's a jarring experience for most people, right? Because you're used to being like most business owners don't have to worry about the land, sea and air around them, right? They've got the army and the air force, the mm-hmm. Navy, but now there's this, you know, fourth domain cyber and local government, federal government, they've pretty much said you're on your own. Right, mm-hmm. whether you're a business or a person, so that's a function we're filling. So when you call us, you know you're talking um, a to a licensed uh, claims adjuster who can help uh, take down what happened, how it's covered, and very efficiently process your claim. Right, help you know you recover money, make you whole again, and then you're also calling and phoning in to someone who is a forensics expert. Right, they're they're a cybersecurity expert who is going to figure out what happened, how it happened. They're going to make sure that the attacker is out of your system. Um, they're going to help you recover your files. And they're also going to, to hopefully leave it cleaner than it was before. And so they will actually work with our clients to implement um, security uh, configurations and, and security tooling to make sure that it never happens again. Mm-hmm. That's, of course, something that we try and do throughout the entire life of sure. the policy period. And we try and do that before you have a client right. because you know neither you nor us want it. But, you know, in some cases it is inevitable, like mistakes are made and people click on emails and it's just the nature of things. Um, and so in that case, you know, you have both someone to expediently, you know, make you whole again financially, and you have someone to literally put the fire out. And, and you know, that's something that we found resonates because again, you know, even large companies is, has been determined over and over and over again are typically not prepared for these sorts of situations and small companies absolutely
0: aren't. Um, sure. So... So yeah. So if you determine that there is no you didn't have backups, um you're you've you're pretty much got to pay the ransom. At this point, do you actually step in and negotiate on behalf of your clients? And if you do, do you ever do you ever get on the phones like, "Oh yeah, I've talked to you before. This is what we're going to do." <laughs> you know, do you do you run into we the do. same actors before?
1: We absolutely do. We do. Uh so you know, it, it is always at the client's direction and, you know, only the client can trigger a claim and, you know, they make they make the ultimate decision as to what direction we go, but we will do that for them. And, and so, and in that instance, you know, one of the benefits of it is that we know how this works. We know who the actors are. We know which ones are willing to negotiate. We know which ones will shut down if you don't. And we're also dispassionate about it because one of the mistakes that I see companies making is... Uh, especially when they try and take this into their own hands is the first reaction, of course, is anger, yeah. right? You know, I don't know about you, but I would be incredibly pissed off if someone oh, sure. did all the data at my company. Yeah, And uh, I would use uh, harsher words, but I'm not sure what the PG rating of your <laughs> podcast is. But um, in any event, you know, that's the first reaction. And the challenge is, is that, you know, that doesn't, as you might imagine, that doesn't uh, go over very sure. well yeah. with the criminal. And so, you know, we've done this, um, you know, unfortunately, hundreds of times. In many cases, we know who the actors are, we know how to do this. And so that's, that's, uh, in that particular scenario, that's, you know, there's a lot of value that we bring. And of course, it's all covered by the insurance policy. So, you know, the client is is really never, uh, is really never at a loss. And, and that's where these two things can function together. With that said, you know, we, as an insurance company, we don't want to pay the ransom. And so there's a lot of work that we're doing to even decrypt ransomware. Mm. Uh, and so we've even had some success in being able to break the encryption of certain strains of ransomware and where we can do that, obviously we will decrypt all, right. all of our files. Um, you know, we, we also want to make that more publicly available. And and so there's a number of organizations, you know, that have, that have popped up at, you know, many of which we support that, you know, to, to try and end ransomware where, you know, as a community, we are trying to band together to try and make it certainly more difficult for,
0: uh, criminal actors to exist in cyberspace. So the one thing that strikes me about this is paradoxical is that unlike, you know, acts of God and, you know, insurance against things like that, that they're basically random and God is not profiting from the the degree of loss. In this case, it seems that having insurance, if I, if I was a bad guy and I was going after this guy or that guy but i know the second guy has insurance to the tune of let's say a million dollars uh i'd go after the guy with insurance <laughs> so and it, it seems paradoxical that that having insurance might invite attack what, what, what how do you how do you address that
1: yeah that's possible i mean you know moral hazard is is always an issue uh with insurance right and so you know one way to uh, to, to to attempt to address it is you know uh, and and this is this has been innovated long before cyber insurance so um believe it or not you can also buy kidnap and ransom insurance mm. um, that existed for far longer than cyber insurance and one of the terms in a kidnap and ransom policy is that you can't publicly disclose mm. that you have a kidnap and ransom policy and and so you know a big part of it just comes down to disclosure right like mm. and that's why insurance companies don't tout who their customers are you know you won't find us talking about who we insure And that's not because we're not proud of them. You know, we're, we're we're very proud to insure a lot of really cool companies. And, you know, I wish I could talk about all the amazing things they're doing, even from a security perspective. But, you know, to the, to your point, we don't want to advertise who has insurance because that could make them a target. And if you do purchase insurance, I would certainly advise you to not disclose it um, because it could make you a target. And in some cases it can also invalidate the coverage. Hmm. Um, That's not, that's not the case in our personal policy, but, You know, there are some insurance companies that say, if you publicly disclose the existence of this coverage, then it's no longer effective. And again, that makes sense, right? Because the very act of disclosing it, you know, could potentially make you a greater target, Right. which is, um, so, so that's, that's how it's dealt with today. It's imperfect, you know, particularly in a world
0: where more and more companies are buying it, but, but, uh, but that's how it works. So let's get into some practical matter. So we've kind of addressed some of these issues as we've gone, but let's, uh, if you're going to give advice uh, to my audience, either as individuals or perhaps as business owners, uh, what should they be doing short of buying insurance, of course, but to to protect themselves, what is, what are some of the main things that they should be making sure that they're doing, uh, to insulate themselves from these sorts of attacks?
1: Yeah. You know, email, like focus, focus, focus on email. And so, you know, maybe I should just preface this with, you know, almost, there's so many things that can be done inexpensively, um, most of the time for free. That are incredibly effective, yep. and so you know, email. Talking about the domain of email, there's a many of those things. Um, you can configure what are called SPF records or DMARC records. Um, you know, these are just slight configurations in DNS. And I don't want to get too technical, but you know, if you were to Google these things, it's pretty easy to set up, and it's free. It's absolutely free. Anyone can do it. And these are these are configurations that make it difficult for someone to spoof your email or mm. to to do basic the basic types types of things there. Um, you know. Purchasing a, a phishing uh, filtering solution, or you know, using a cloud services provider like uh, G, Google G Suite or Office 365 that has these these security features built in, mm-hmm. you know, very inexpensive to do, and you know, Google and Microsoft and are, are incredibly good at security. You know, they're they're doing this uh, at scale for lots of people. Like these are highly effective things. But sure. you know, fo- focusing on email is one thing. Two factor authentication for email, for other corporate systems, you know, usernames and passwords, it, it, the whole thing is broken. <laughs> if you're relying upon a username and password to prevent someone to get access to your crown jewels, you know, the, you, you just cannot do that anymore, um, plain and simple. And so adding a second factor of authentication, you know, where the user has to physically have access to, you know, a, like a mobile phone to check a, a text message or, you know, to get a little code from an app, mm-hmm. you know, that that should be required everywhere. Yeah. Um, and you know, in our case, you know, about 36% of our claims are business email compromise. 100% of those would not have happened <sighs> had our insured had uh, multi-factor or two-factor wow. authentication. That's how effective it is. Wow. You know, so those are some of the big ones. Backups, right? Mm-hmm. Like back up, back up your data. You know, then you can afford for things to go wrong. Um, in some respects and and that's where a lot of this comes it, it is insurance policies even from a technology perspective right a backup is a form of insurance yeah a two two factor is a form of insurance right if someone compromises the first layer you got this insurance policy of you need the second one um and and then of course you know i, I will harp on it somewhat self-servingly but <laughs> whether you buy it from us or anyone else you really should purchase an insurance product and it's so inexpensive and, and i think that's what most people don't realize You know, my my thesis in starting Coalition was that particularly for small and mid-sized businesses, which is, you know, really the core of who we serve, the the cybersecurity solution for them is not risk mitigation, not cybersecurity. It's not going to be technology. It's going to be risk transfer. Hmm. You can purchase, as a small business, a million dollars of coverage for oftentimes less than $1,000 a year, right? Less than $100 a month. You know, you'd be hard pressed, you know, to buy a single firewall for that cost. And and that's not to say that you shouldn't you should have both, right. Like, right? You should should do the things and implement MFA and all these, back up your data, but it really is quite inexpensive. Um, uh, you know, particularly given that, you know, for small businesses and mid sized businesses and individuals, like this can be existential. You know, the capital ones and Marriott's and you know, the school districts and whatnot, they're gonna survive. Um, mm. you know, the tax the taxpayers will pay for the <laughs> sure. for the for the public schools <laughs> right. and you know, um, the shareholders will pay for Equifax or wherever, (laughs) um, many small businesses don't have that luxury, right? Like if, if, if you have an unforeseen $10,000 cost, much less $200,000 cost to your business, you know, that can be the difference between making payroll or not. Um, that can be the difference between, you know, surviving. And, you know, I've seen numerous examples, um, particularly with medical practitioners. You know, I, I know of one case that I was told about where, you know, a, a dentist got hit by ransomware, encrypted all of the patient data, didn't have an insurance policy, you know, the ransom was $100,000, they couldn't afford it. And he just decided to early retire, He shut down his practice. So, you know, that's, you know, while it's very, uh, well, you open up the newspaper, and you see all these things about big companies, and there may be this, uh, you know, there may be this bias to think that it only happens to large companies. It's happening far more to smaller ones. No one reads about it. And it's far more devastating.
0: That's the reality. Wow. So, you mentioned backup over and over again. Uh, do you recommend yep. on-site backup, like external hard drives or cloud backups or, or a hybrid solution?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, off-site backups are, are going to be the most effective. It, you know, I will take any form of backup over no backup. Sure. Um, you know, c- cloud backups are sort of by definition off-site backups. The, the key really, irrespective of how you're doing it or where you're doing it, is simply to make sure that if it were encrypted, you know, you you have the ability to recover it and so trying to segment your network and that's another thing i talk about so mm-hmm. you know 2fa email backups segmentation is the other really free lunch here which is trying as much as you can segment your network and so particularly you know if you're having lots of risky behavior you know like employees accessing emails and clicking on everything <laughs> you know you don't want that network talking to the network that has you know your the database of you know all your right. customers that has the crown jewels of everything you're doing. Right. You know, you certainly don't want it connected to the network that's running your manufacturing systems. Right. And so, you know, what I generally recommend is, you know, back up and, and try and do so in a way where there's some form of segmentation physically, logically, and, and, and otherwise.
0: So as we wrap up, what if I'm, if I've been now convinced that I need to get myself some cyber insurance and I'm, and there's plenty of companies out there offering it, how do I? How do you recommend people evaluate and compare these products uh, and and, co- and companies? How how do I know that one is better than another?
1: Yeah, so you know, there's um, insurance brokers are are really key to making all this happen. And so, you know, Coalition doesn't sell insurance directly to to companies or individuals. Um, we exclusively sell through insurance brokers. And so, you know, these brokers are the company's advocate to help them. First of all, understand their risk, how much coverage they need, what coverage they need, and help them navigate this process. And so, you know, using uh, whether you have an existing one or or, you know finding a new one, uh, you know, we're more than happy, of course, to always introduce people to some of the wonderful partners we work with. But there are a lot of very sophisticated uh, insurance brokers that specialize in this risk and that can guide companies to the right insurance companies, and you know, help them for for lack of a better word, of determining if they're getting a a great rate or a horrible one. So, so yeah, so that's, that's generally what I, what I recommend. There's also, you know, of course, a tremendous amount of information available on the, on the internet, you know, as, as, you know, as with anything these days. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's never been easier to sort of get educated on what's covered. We have a tremendous amount of educational material on our website, just telling people what it covers, you know, answering the frequent, frequent questions they have. And so, you know, lots of, lots of resources they can use.
0: Well, Joshua, that's that's really informative. I learned a lot of stuff today. Uh, that was that was great, and uh, I will just definitely will put a, we'll put the uh, the website on the show notes and uh, tell people how to go check out and your 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 uh, your website. And hopefully, we've convinced some people today that, that they need this service. I think you've convinced me. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on and explaining this. It was very insightful.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you again for having me.
0: big thanks to Joshua for coming on the show that was a really interesting interview and of course again if for some reason you haven't heard part 1 definitely go back and check that out of course in the future if you want to make sure uh, you don't miss any of these parts of these interviews two part interviews go to my uh, go to my podcast and subscribe uh, go to your favorite whatever your podcast app is and subscribe so you get every episode automatically downloaded and you won't you definitely won't miss anything if you're interested in uh, learning more about coalition you can go to their website thecoalition.com. i will definitely put that in the show notes as well and there's the organization no dot org. If you do get hit with ransomware, I would definitely um, look at that website. There, the, you know, bad guys are to make mistakes too, and oftentimes these well, not I would say oftentimes there are definitely cases where the ransomware that has been going around is actually breakable. Um, you can get your files back without having to pay the ransom um, because they make mistakes, and so. Uh, this website is kind of dedicated to that premise where, you know, if there's any other way to get your files back, once you've been hit with ransomware, this is the site to go to uh, all the collective knowledge we have on on these ransomware variants is listed there. Uh, and so that would be a good place to start. And of course, what you really want to do is prevent this from ever happening in the first place. And we talked a little bit about that today in the episode, some things you can do. And again, it's National Cybersecurity Month. So it's a great time to be doing these things, implementing some of these basic, you know, seatbelt and suspenders kind of things. Uh, you know, I always like to call them. You know, just very basic things like sunscreen, smoke detectors, brushing your teeth, all the, all the things that we take for granted in the physical world. And we just, we just do them because we know they're smart things to do. We haven't really gotten there in the digital world. So. But there's a lot of things like that. There's a lot of very simple things, many of them free, uh, that we can and all should be doing uh, to protect ourselves. And the more each of us is protected, the better we all are, uh, even for those of those that don't do all these things, because it just makes it harder for these viruses and things to spread in the first place. So herd immunity. Uh, you can go to my website, FirewallsDon'tStopDragons.com. There's a little resources tab there uh, that has links to a lot of other websites, uh, books, and uh, other things that you might want to check out. Of course, there's the blog there itself, which every couple of weeks I put out something, something actionable, hopefully that will help you be more secure or at least be more aware. Uh, those blog posts are usually also my newsletter. So if you want them shipped to you automatically, you can sign up for the newsletter. And of course, the book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, you can find it on Amazon. It uh, has over 150 tips in it, complete with step-by-step instructions and pictures uh, on how to make yourself more secure and guard your privacy. So, uh, great time, great month to kind of get out there and, and make some of those changes. Coming up next week, we'll have another news show. It's been, uh, been a while, so we'll catch up on what's going out there in the news. There definitely are some, There's always something going on, uh, so I'll catch you up on what's going on there. And after that, we're going to have another interview, uh, another very interesting interview. Uh, we'll be talking about identity theft. And not only preventing identity theft, but actually investigating it after the fact and seeing if uh, you can figure out who did it, who done it. So that'll be a very interesting interview, and that'll be coming up in just a couple of weeks. As always, I welcome your feedback. You can send uh, send your notes to feedback at firewallsdonestopdragons.com. If you have any topics you'd like to see covered on the show or any feedbacks on the format or whatever, any ideas whatsoever, feel free to ship me a note. Uh, I may not reply to them all, but I will certainly read them. And that'll wrap up our show. Thanks again for listening. Uh, go subscribe now. Uh, leave it <laughs> if you already subscribed, maybe consider leaving a nice uh, review. Always appreciate that. And as always, until next week, stay safe out there and don't get caught with your drawbridge down.